Bible so that we can start reading together. All right. Read along with me in Ezra chapter, starting in Ezra chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away from Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried them away to Babylon, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. Those who came with Zerubbabel were Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reeliah, Mordecai, Belshan, Mispar, Bigbai, Rehom, and Banah. The number of the men of the people of Israel, the people of Parosh, 2,172, the people of Shephatiah, 372, the people of Arah, 775, the people of Bahad Moab, or the people of Jeshua and Joab, 2,812, the people of Elam, 1,254, the people of Satu, 945, the people of Sakai, 760, the people of Banai, 642, the people of Bebai, 623, the people of Asgad, 1,222, the people of Adonakam, 660, the people of Bigbai, 2,056, the people of Aden, 454, the people of Adder of Hezekiah, 98, the people of Bezai, 323, the people of Jorah, 112, the people of Hashum, 223, the people of Gebar, 95, the people of Bethlehem, 123, the men of Net Netophah, 56, the men of Anathoth, 128, the people of Asmabeth, 42, the people of Kirjath Arim, Tepharath, and Birath, 743, the people of Ramah and Giba, 621, the men of Michmas, 122, the men of Bethel and Ai, 223, the people of Nebo, 52, the people of Magbish, 156, the people of the other Elam, 1,254, the people of Harim, 320, the people of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 725, the people of Jericho, 345, the people of Sana, 3,630, the priests, the sons of Jediah, of the house of Jeshua, 973, the sons of Emer, 1,052, the sons of Pashur, 1,247, the sons of Harim, 1,070, the Levites, the sons of Jeshua and Cadmiel, of the sons of Odabiah, 74, the singers, the sons of Asaph, 128, the sons of the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Adder, the sons of Hamon, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, the sons of Shobai, 139 in all. The Nethanim, the sons of Siha, the sons of Hatsufa, the sons of Taboath, the sons of Kiros, the sons of Siaha, the sons of Padon, 
the sons of Lebanon, the sons of Kabada, the sons of Atbut, the sons of Hagad, the sons of Shammai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gedo, the sons of Gahar, the sons of Reaya, the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nekoda, the sons of Gazan, the sons of Uza, the sons of Pasaya, the sons of Besai, the sons of Asna, the sons of Meunim, the sons of Nefuzim, the sons of Bakub, Bakbuk, the sons of Hakupa, the sons of Hahur, the sons of Baslut, the sons of Mehida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barcos, the sons of Sisteria, the sons of Tamar, the sons of Nesiah, and the sons of Hatifa, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sophai, the sons of Sophoreth, the sons of Peruvda, the sons of Jala, the sons of Darkin, the sons of Gido, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pokereth, the Zebain, and the sons of Ami, all the Nethnim and the children of Solomon's servants were 392. And these were the ones who came up from Tel Malah, Tel Harsha, Sherob, Adon, and Immer, but they could not identify the father's house or their genealogy, whether they were of Israel, the sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nekodah, 652, and of the sons of the priest, the sons of Habiah, the sons of Koz, the sons of Barzillai, who took a wife of the daughters of Barzillai, the Giladite, and was called by their name. These sought their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. And the governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till a priest could consult with the Urim and the Thummim. The whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, in whom there were 7,337, and they had 200 men and women singers. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6,720. Some of the heads of the father's houses, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to erect it in its place. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. So the priests and the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nethanim dwelt in their cities and all Israel in their cities. Now, when, and I know we're in the season right now, when you go to a graduation, you know, and I, I believe this year, sadly enough, there won't be any physical graduation uh, as you would expect at the Coliseum or the Alamo Dome. But when you go to a graduation, you know, you hear all the acknowledgments of these people that, you know, achieved valedictorian and those people who are going to go into to the service, into military. 
and you hear their names being called one after the other, one after the other, and, and you, your family, anybody that's with you, you're, you're waiting there, waiting to hear the one person that you're there to support. And among all the other names that are being mentioned, you might recognize one. So, you know, here and there, you might, you might think, oh, there, there, I, I, can't, I think I know this person. But if, you know, especially if your last name, it's either with starts with the no or one of the last letters of the, the alphabet, you think, man, when is this going to be over? Let's just get it over with. That's the same reason why God put these names in the Bible. Just like the people who are graduating, you call their names one at a time because they're significant. They are important. They achieve something. These people's names that are in the Bible, God recorded them for a reason. And we read them, and as difficult as they are to read, God chose to acknowledge them. Now, these people, 50,000 plus people who came to Jerusalem, they chose to hear. Not, they didn't choose to hear, but they answered. They chose to answer the word of God. They're calling upon their heart, their lives. They answered the call and they took a sacrifice. They risked everything. They sacrificed by leaving the comfort where they were already established in Babylon. By now, they have been released from captivity. God had been working this whole time. 70 years have been working in the background, even though they did not acknowledge him. He had always been working in the background. Um, he never left their side. Now, these people, obviously, again, they took a risk. They left everything. They sacrificed their own lives. For the calling of God. And their sacrifice isn't like ours. Currently. How we are right now. Secluded. In lockdown. You can only step outside with certain accommodations. You know. You do take a risk when you go to HEB. Even though you take the precautions. You, you, you run the risk of bringing back that whatever is out there. Right? Well. That's not as risky as these people took. And sacrifice. Now, these people, not all of them, not all of them answered the call of God. Because some of them have conformed to this world or to Babylon, to the world, or in, in other words, to the pattern of this world. Paul said it in Romans 12, chapter 2, that those people, as comfortable as they were, even though they heard the word of God, they understood the word of God. They chose to stay. Those who did not come, either because, oh, you know, I'm so busy. You know, I have kids. They got to go to school. I'm so busy because I have, you know, little ones. I can't serve God. You know, too busy. How am I supposed to provide? How am I supposed to take a journey into God's calling? How am I supposed to fund it? How am I supposed to... And you insert it. Doesn't that sound exactly what happens in today's church? Well, pastor, I can't serve because, you know, I got to work. Yes, you got to take a responsibility. So I understand that. Well, pastor, I have two babies, three, three babies, four babies, you name it. 
I have to feed the dog a certain time of the day. I have to, you, you, you insert. And I think I've said this many times, there will never be a right time to serve. Never. There will never be a right time to serve. There's always something that's going to get in the way if you look at it from the perspective of a human standing rather than looking at it from the perspective of God himself. Now, these people, when, when you do more study on the names and the actual number of how many people actually came when they took the census or their census, there seems to be a misunderstanding of how they took the count. Jews usually counted men 20 years and above. Sometimes there was there was exceptions as to when like King David or King Solomon took counts at a different age for certain purposes. And it is believed that during this time that these people took this, this trip, this calling of God, they took the count differently. Because once we, as we're going to read through, through chapter 2, if you start adding up the numbers, they don't add up exactly to 50,000 or so, close enough. But let's pick it up in verse 36, where we left off. Verse 36, it says, priest, The priest, the sons of Jedediah, of the house of Jeshua, 973. The sons of Immer, 1,052. The sons of Pashur, 1,247. The sons of Harim, 1,017. The Levites, the sons of Jeshua and Kedmiel, of the sons of Hodadiah, 74. Now, this priest and the Levites, obviously they were important. They were crucial for this, this group of people. It wasn't just that, oh, we, we need somebody who, who's going to teach us the, the books of, you know, the book of the law. Obviously, they needed to know the book of the law. They needed to understand what it was, what God's word said. They needed guidance from God with these people. The people needed to have guidance to return back to the Lord. These were over 4,200 men who probably had never seen the original temple standing, right? So keep that in mind. They probably never saw the temple in their lives before. As we get into chapter 3, we're going to get into the reason why I ask you to keep this in mind. Now keep reading verse 41. It says, The, the, the singers, the sons of Asaph, 128. The sons of the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Adder, the sons of Talmud, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, the sons of Shobai, 139 in all. Over 300 Levites, of whom were composed of the worship team, they needed to have a worship team, Bible teachers, and also ushers or security for the temple. These Levites were set apart by God to teach the people. It says in, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, they were set apart by God. They had been chosen of God. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, verse 8. Deuteronomy 33, verse 8. 
says, and of Levi, he said, let your Tunum and your Urim be with you, your Holy One, whom you tested at Manasseh, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who says of his father and mother, I have not said them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers and know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgment and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. So they were to teach the people the statutes of God. That is the main role of the Levites, as well as bringing the sacrifices, the Levites and the priests, bringing the sacrifices before the Lord. Continue reading back in Ezra, verse, I mean, chapter 2, verse 43 says, The Netanim, the sons of Siha, the sons of Hesupa, the sons of Taboath, the sons of Keros, the sons of Tiaha, the sons of Padan, the sons of Leb Lebna, the sons of ha Hagabah, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hagab, the sons of Shammai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gidol, the sons of Gahar, the sons of Uriah, the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nekoda, the sons of Gazan, the sons of Uzzah, the sons of Uzziah, the sons of Bezai, the sons of Asna, the sons of Neonim, the sons of Nefuzim, the sons of Bakbuk, the sons of Hakupa, the sons of Harkur, the sons of Basluth, the sons of Mehida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barcos, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tamar, the sons of Neziah, and the sons of Hatifa, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Sopheret, the sons of Peruda, the sons of Hala, the sons of Darkon, the sons of Gidel, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pachareth, of Sabine, the sons of Ami, all the Nephthim, and the children of Solomon's servants were 392. These 390 plus people, men, were not priests or Levites, but were essential. I know that word is so popular right now, essential. They were essential part of the temple. They were descendants of Solomon's servants who were left from the Amorites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites who Israel had not been able to destroy. So Solomon raised forced labor according to 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 20 and 21. 1 Kings 9, verse 20 and 21. This was the people that were not killed, but King Solomon imposed labor upon them. In other words, to serve him. Now let's keep reading in verse 59 of Ezra chapter 2. And these were the ones who came from, up from Tel Malah, Tel Harsha, Cherub, Aden, and Immer, but they could not identify their father's house or their genealogy, whether they were of Israel, the sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Kedot, Nekodah, 
652, and of the sons of the priests of the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Coast, the sons of Barzillai, who took a wife of the daughters of Barzillai, the Giladite, and was called by the name. These saw their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. And the governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till a priest could consult with the Urim and the Thummim. Now, in order for somebody to serve as a priest, being a Levite, their genealogy, their ancestry had to be proven. It wasn't just like they could take the word, like, okay, yeah, I'm a descendant of Aaron. Proper identification was required. It wasn't racism. It wasn't discrimination. It was God's command. This is why the Jews have such a good, not just good, but great record keeping. But all these were probably lost when they were taken into captivity. This is why they were not able to prove their genealogy when this count was being taken. Now, it says here that they were called by the governor on the file, which means that Serubabel did not send them back, though. He did not send them back, but had them excluded from serving in the temple. Previously, we know this, that people had tried to, to be sneaky, try to be in the temple, try to offer sacrifices who were not supposed to even enter into the temple, who were obviously not of the line of the priest, of Aaron's descendant. Those who tried were put to death by God, according to Numbers chapter 1, verse 51, and Numbers 3, verse 10. However, these people who were not able to prove their ancestry, they were granted to stay as foreigners in accordance with Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34, because they were once, meaning the Israelites themselves, they were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. So God was even looking out for these foreigners. Uh, for these people who were aliens, who were not of Israel, he still took care of them. He still was able to provide for them. Now the Urim and the Thummim, these are two stones that were being carried at the breastplates of the priests. Now the Urim means guilty, and the Thummim means innocent. And this was a way that they could consult God to know if someone was telling the truth or not. Now, when you hear casting the lots in the New Testament, it is believed that this is what they were talking about, consulting the Urim and the Thummim. Obviously, they needed to consult God, and this was a way that God would answer them, one of the ways that he would answer their questions, whether they were telling the truth or they were not. In this case, they were going to consult these people who were not able to prove their ancestry, they were going to consult the priest. So the priest had to consult God through the Urim and the Thummim to prove whether they were, they were telling the truth or not. Let's keep reading in verse 54. It says, The whole assembly together was 42,360. 
besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 200 men and women singers. Now, we read this. Oh, let me read one more verse. Their camels, 435, and their donkeys, 6,720. We read these numbers, and we just heard 42,360. So where do the 50,000 people come from? Now, as I said earlier, in the beginning, I said that there was times when the, the, the way they took census, the way they took their, their, their numbering at different ages. It is believed that either the rest of the people were part of the trip after the list was made at the beginning of the journey. Because Ezra had to take numbers, had to take count of these people before they left so that if case somebody died on the way, they were able to know who was deceased or that the rest of the represented 50,000 people or 7,000 willing servants, their willing servants who came along with them, which brings us to show that some of the Jews were wealthy. They had become wealthy. Not only were they wealthy, but they were good masters because these servants willingly came with them. Willingly came with them. So this is part of the count. Now, again, going back to them being wealthy. That means that during their captivity, or even after their captivity, they have become comfortable in the land of Babylon. But yet they chose to answer God's calling in their lives. But some stayed behind. Now, these 200 singers that we hear about here were not part of the worship singers. They were not part of the worship team, as we just uh, read a few, a few verses ago. These 200 singers were actually what, to us, for us to better understand, it would have been like Mercy Me. would have been like David Crowder Band or Casting Crowns, Third Day. These were people who were Christian singers. In other words, for them, Obviously, they were not Christian singers, but for us to understand, they were believers who would obviously write worship music, but they were not part of the worship team at the temple. Yet, they were, uh, and we, can, we, we know this, that in the Old Testament, it talks about how there was people who were hired for weddings, to play at weddings. So obviously, these were like this band, like I just mentioned. Let's keep reading in verse 68. It says, Some of the heads of the father's houses, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to erect it in its place according to their ability. They gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas, 5,000 minus of silver, and 100 priestly garments. So the priests and the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethinim dwelt in their cities, and all Israel in their cities. So these people, when they arrived in Jerusalem, 
they knew where their families had dwelt, had lived before. So they went to that location, at least to where geographically it was probably at. There was so many, so much ruin, so much destruction that, like I said earlier in earlier studies, that they were discouraged when they arrived. They were seeing destruction and they would think, how are we going to ever rebuild this great city? Now, the journey that these 50,000 people took was a 900 plus mile trip on foot with their belongings with their children, not only their belongings and the children, but they also brought their offerings, their own personal offerings, livestock. It, it wasn't just like a 900 miles, you can cross this now in a vehicle and in one day. These people was a four month trip. Four months, 900 miles on foot. Yes, they had camels. Yes, they had horses. And they probably had some kind of wagons to carry all this stuff. But it was on foot. I think I mentioned this last week that if you ever try to take a trip just from, from here, San Antonio, over to Austin or to, you know, Houston or Dallas, and you bring it along the family, it's going to take a while. To even just try to get them into the vehicle, it's going to take a while to to even travel. Because I think I did mention this, because you're going to want to stop at Bucky's. Who doesn't stop at Bucky's when they go, you know, past some markets? You're going to stop at Bucky's, or if you go on I-10, you're going to stop at Bucky's, right? So these people already had to stop places to rest, and. We only hear about the, the start of the journey and when they arrived at their location, which God called them to. We don't hear, at least not in this, this book, we don't hear about what happened from the time they left to the point they arrived. Obviously, they had to face trials. Some people probably got sick on the way. Some people probably passed away. Some people probably decided, you know what, this is too much for me. And they return back to Babylon. We don't know. But they had challenges. That's for sure. They left property. They lost property. They lost some of their belongings. Just like our walk with the Lord. He calls us. And he never has said. It's going to be fine and dandy. It's all going to be nicely paved. You know with a nice. You know flower. You know at least for us in Texas. With nice blue bonnet scenery, or those um, wildflowers that come out around this season. He never said that. There's going to be challenges. And yes, we're going to fall, we're going to stumble, we're going to fail. We're going to want to give up. We're going to say, what's the point? How can a loving God call me to these trials? How can he say, yes, come? And all these trials are before me. And my family hates me behind me. How can God call me that into that? How can God call me to serve him and then I'm losing my family? How can God call me to, to do his will and, and leave everything behind? For them, literally, it was leaving everything they knew. Their livelihood was being left 
behind. They were going to to a place they have read about. Some probably were still more young enough to remember or when they were taken into captivity to remember what Jerusalem used to look like. So they knew they were going back, but nevertheless, they faced challenges. And for us Christians, those who are true believers, when we fail, when we fall, when we feel like giving up, our Lord Jesus Christ is always there to say, come on, let's get up. We're almost there. Come on, don't give up. One more step, one more step, one more step. I am with you, he says, to the end. These were the main leaders that we hear about here, that as soon as they got there, they gave free willingly they gave to support the work of God. Not only did they they give to support monetarily support the work of God, but they themselves physically got dirty to 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 serve to serve and work the work of God. They freely gave just like we know in Second Corinthians Paul speaking Second Corinthians chapter eight verse eight through fifteen and Second Corinthians chapter nine verse six through fifteen, so that we freely, willingly, with joy, give to the Lord as these people did. The amount of money that they were given, in our, it says for them in our currency, it is estimated that it's about five million dollars according to these verses. Five million dollars equivalent to our currency. Some even estimated that it was close to $1.5 billion what they give to pay for the masons, to pay for the woodworkers, the carvers, all these labor, they gave this money willingly on top of they themselves physically serving, answering the call of God, rolling up their sleeves, or, or in their, their case, rolling up their tunics, <laughs> up their tunics and, and tying their sandals up instead of their boots, the bootstraps, they got to work. Now let's get into chapter 3 of Ezra. Chapter 3 verse 1 says, And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. That is key right there. One as one man. One man. Meaning that they were all in agreement. They were all of the same spirit. They were all to serve their, their God. They were there willingly. And later we, we learn in the book of Ezra and in the book of Nehemiah. That they, when they got together to read the Bible or, or their scriptures. For us it would be the Bible. They were all in agreement. Giving a standing ovation. Now for Ezra. Before the word of God being read. They were all as one. We the body. We the body. The body of Christ. The church. We're supposed to be in one accord. One agreement. The same spirit leading us. Keeping us together. And verse 2 says. Then Jeshua the son of Hosadat. And his brethren the priests. And Zerubbabel the son of Shatil. And his brethren arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt 
offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Now it says here that it was the seventh month, the seventh month, uh, which for them, the name of the seventh month is Tishri. For us, it would be uh, something between our September and our, our October. And for them, that time was a sacred month for the Jews. Now, they themselves, Ezra, or actually not, not, not Ezra, but Zerubbabel, they didn't plan this out to arrive upon this time. God had orchestrated this whole thing. Years and years ago, he knew that they were going to, to leave captivity to be able to arrive after their, their journey, their four-month journey, to arrive to kind of get settled in a little bit and to begin their special Sabbath celebration. This was the start when they began this. This was the start of their Feast of Trumpets. Now, it also, on the 10th day of the seventh month, it was the Day of Atonement. And from the 15th of the month through the 21st of the month, it was the Feast of Tabernacles. This was celebrated at that time. So this was a special Sabbath that landed in the middle of the week. Pay attention to this. The seventh month, Tishri. And it all coincides with what we just recently celebrated, even though for us it was, it was just recently, last month. But because of the cycles of God that he follows or he taught the people to follow, for them, it landed around the, the time of September, October for their special Sabbath. What did we just celebrate? A special Sabbath that landed in the middle of the week. Passion Week. The special Sabbath. It is also believed that this was when Solomon, back when he began building the temple, the temple of God, it was around this specific time. And you know what? Let's go. I was just going to read a few verses, but go with me to Leviticus. Leviticus 23. Go to Leviticus 23. We're going to read this together. Leviticus 23, starting verse 23, says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul in that same day shall be cut off from his people. And um, any person who does not work on that same day, who does work on the same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. 
You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations. In all your dwellings, it shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. There, These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering, a grain offering, a sacrifice, and drink offerings, everything on its day, besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. Also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord yours for seven days. And on the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees, branches of the palm trees, and the boughs, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israel shall dwell in booths, that, there, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. So they were, when they got there, when they got there, they started God's work. But they started seeking first the kingdom of God. As Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says, seeking the kingdom of God first. What is it, Lord? Even though he may have called you, what is the Lord that you want me to start working on first? What do we begin to do? And obviously, they wanted to start out right. They wanted to make sure that they, what they were doing was what God called them to do. Now, let's, let's look at verse, verse 3. Back to Ezra chapter 3, verse 3. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its basis, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening burnt offerings. Again, these people, when they arrived at Jerusalem, some had not ever partaken of these rituals. Some, because they were so young, when they saw this, they probably did not remember this. So it says here that they were afraid. So think about it. 
they have to offer all these sacrifices to the Lord. They were afraid. They had never slaughtered a goat. They had never slaughtered the heifer. They had never made a burnt offering. They had never dealt with the scapegoat and so on and so on. All the rituals that they needed to partake of. Just think about it. All the blood that had to flow. They needed to do it according to the law that God had left them. Which Moses prescribed to them. Now, again, these people were probably, as for us, we would say rookies. They were trembling afraid so think about that it says there that they were afraid when people when people now speaking from the perspective of serving a church when people say well i don't know what to do i'm not a good at anything and when they finally say you know what somebody calls them to volunteer well i'm too nervous i've never done it nobody 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 is born knowing anything the, the the saying is true. There's always a person for everything. And when you serve God, yes, it's going to be scary. But once you begin the work of God, as insignificant it may seem to you, as insignificant as it may seem to others, sometimes God honors that step of faith. God honors that step of faith as scared as you are being afraid like these people, having faith. Now, having faith does not mean fear doesn't exist. It just shows us that we are humans and we desperately, even more so, need Christ in us. Yes, it is scary out there. Yes, you will fail. Yes. People will probably make fun of you. Yes, you may lose some acquaintances. And I, they hear me what I say, acquaintances. Because true friends will support you when it is God's calling, even as, as illogical as they may seem. When God calls you to serve, when God calls you to whatever it is that His will is for your life, it's going to be scary. It's going to be difficult. Yes. That is very true. But we all, all of us, all of us need Jesus in our lives. Especially what's going on right now. Everyone, people are scared. Yes, we're, we're living in uncertain times. We don't know. We don't know the truth, the full truth behind everything that's going on. But guess what? The one that's on the throne yesterday tomorrow and forever he knows and we need him in our lives let's pray father thank you lord thank you that regardless of how scary things may be out there we know that you are still on the throne lord jesus we know that you reign forever from everlasting to everlasting lord and you continue to, to, to dwell in your kingdom. Father, call upon us to serve you, Lord. Willingly serve you, Father. Call your servants. Send your spirit upon all of us, Lord Jesus, to answer your call. 
especially when it feels scary, especially when we doubt ourselves. Not that we doubt you, but we doubt ourselves a lot. In these crazy, odd times, Lord Jesus, fill us even more so with your Holy Spirit power. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. God bless you guys. Hope to see you very, very soon.